Today we're going to finish the series. Uh, I kind of knocked around going a little further with it, but I think we'll be able to close it out today from mess to message. Um, and today I talked to you a lot about content last week about the, the idea of moving from mess to message. But today I want to kind of give you the application. How do we, how do we do that? How do you, how do we take the steps that are necessary to get to a place of wholeness in our life and actually have a message out of the messes that, that we've had in our life or that we may be having right now? Uh, Dr. Sam Chan said this, you will not grow beyond your threshold of pain. You will not grow beyond your threshold of pain. And that is a true statement. Now, it's a blessing to know that, but it's also, um, it's kind of a downer on the other side of it too, because you, you realize that, that you go through pain and then, so you, then you move your threshold. Why do you move your threshold? So you can handle greater pain. And that's just, you know, none of us want to go, oh yeah, yippee, it's going to, I got some more pain coming. Uh, we don't want to go down that, but it's true. It's true. And so with that in mind, let's kind of walk through this, this whole process. Now, what I'm going to do right out of the gate this morning is kind of mess with your theology. I've never done that, I know. Um, but I'm going to mess with your theology this morning because how many have heard it said that God will not put more on you than you can stand? Okay, that's wrong. Sorry. You know, that we use one verse of scripture and it's taken out of context. The verse we use is the passage that said that no matter how you're tempted, God will not give you more temptation than you're able to stand. But with the temptation, make a way of escape in it. It's talking about temptation. Okay? Not talking about messes. Not talking about trouble. Just temptation. You know, for example, uh, when it comes to uh, sexual immorality. He gives you a very simple step to stay out of sexual immorality. What is it? Run. Run. Okay? That's the way out. That's the way of escape. That's what he's talking about. Now, today, I want you, I want you to understand something. God will most definitely allow more on you than you can handle. But he's got a reason for that. The reason is so that you can learn his faithfulness and the ability to trust him in greater difficulties. See, what God desires for all of his kids is this. He desires that we all become totally dependent on him, that we step out of ourselves, we step away from who we are and our own self-made idea and mentality, and we lean on God for everything. Now, the further you get away from third world and, and unbelievable poverty, the less um, ease that happens. When you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, it's really difficult to just go, God, I'm going to trust you with everything. Because we have, we, have, we have multiple ways of earning money. We have different things. We live in America, the most blessed nation this world has ever known. Now, some of you may be here this morning going, well, I wish I had a little bit of that blessing today, you know. But here's the thing. Because we live in the West and because we live in the nation that we live in, it's very hard to trust God fully. It's very hard. Instead of, instead of trusting him, we get worried, we live in anxiety, we have all kinds of things that take place in our life, and we want to fix stuff ourselves. Instead of taking the time to step back and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? We just jump by, and I know how to fix this, and so we, we fix it. Especially us guys, a lot of us guys are just fixers by nature. We see a problem, we get under it, we fix it, we move on to the next problem. Got that one, check the box, move on. But I want you to understand something this morning. 
The truth is, and it's very clear in God's word, that God will put more on you than you can handle, or he'll allow more in your life than you can handle, because he wants us to learn of his faithfulness and, our, and increase our trust in him so that we are totally dependent on God for every aspect of our life. So today we're going to unpack Isaiah 61. If you want to look in the new version, it's there. All the notes are there. So here we go. Isaiah 61, the first four verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. As I said last week, Jesus came, and this is what he's talking about here. He actually reads this scroll in, in Luke chapter 4. And so he's reading the, we're reading the entirety of the Messianic prophecy. Jesus just read a portion of it, but he said, as he closed, he said, this is now fulfilled today in your presence. In other words, I am the one that fulfills this passage. So he comes to bring a divine exchange. He wants to exchange what? Beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. And that all sounds well and good. He's come to do those things. He's come to bestow those things on us. He's going to bring a divine exchange. We give up beauty. We give up the ashes and we have beauty. We give up the morning, we get joy. We give up despair, we have praise. All of those things. But we have to embrace the change or we have to embrace the exchange, if you will. He bestows, okay? I'm bestowing this on you. If you don't receive what he has bestowed, then it doesn't mean anything to you. Okay, it doesn't mean anything at all. He bestows, we embrace. We embrace what? The beauty from the ashes. We don't wait until the ashes turn into beauty. We're in the ashes and we embrace the beauty. Well, I can't see any beauty. You still embrace it. You still embrace it. The joy instead of the morning. I don't see anything but grief. I don't see anything but mourning. I don't know if this darkness will ever leave me. But in the middle of that, you choose joy. You choose the joy. Praise instead of our despair. I just don't feel like praising. So what do you do? You praise anyway. Well, it, feels, it doesn't feel right. It feels like I'm hypocritical. It feels counterintuitive. All of those things are true. It's not hypocritical. It feels counterintuitive, but it's not because it's a mandate from God. We choose the praise in the despair. We choose the joy in the morning. We choose the beauty while we're sitting in the pile of ashes. We make those decisions because it's been bestowed upon us. But unless we embrace it, it doesn't happen. Well, I can't understand why my ashes didn't get turned into beauty. I can't understand why my mourning was, ne I never had any joy. I can't understand why my despair never turned into praise. It's because you didn't praise, you didn't choose to praise, you didn't choose the joy, and you didn't choose the beauty. Yeah, but God said he's going to give me, he said, no, he's going to bestow this. I'm bestowing this to you, okay? If we embrace the ashes and the mourning and the despair or the pain that we go through, then he assures us what? That we will be called. Notice it's futuristic. They will. Speaks of the future. Doesn't speak of the moment that you're in the mess. But if you get through it, 
If you get through the ashes and the mourning and the despair with beauty, joy, and praise, then there's going to be a point in time when you will be called an oak of righteousness because you live through it differently. You will rebuild the ancient ruins. Well, I thought God was going to rebuild this. You rebuild means what? You build again. You build again. Restore, renew the devastation. They will speaks of the future. Between the mess and the message is the process. And the process takes time. And none of us in America want to take the time. I'm sorry. We don't want to do that. That's why we have microwaves in our homes. That's why we have on our, in our purse or in our, on our hip or in our back pocket, we have a computer that is larger than the largest computer known to man 50 years ago. That would fill up an entire building. It's in your pocket now. Why? Because we want information when? Quickly. If that little scrolly ball from hell pops up on our screen, <laughs> we're dog cussing that thing. We're calling it every name in the book. We're mad because we don't have what we want in a moment. Your Wi-Fi goes down. Ugh. Why? Because we're not getting what we want in the moment. We're a culture and a society of instant gratification. And so when we talk about a process, we go, I don't want a process. I want a microwave. I don't want, a, I don't want the crock pot. I don't want the slow cooker. I want a microwave. I want it finished and ready. I want the hot pocket of spirituality. <laughs> anybody understand what I'm talking about this morning? <laughs> what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it for good. But what is our role in that? I'm under attack. I'm under attack. I'm under attack. God, when are you going to turn this around? Well, there's some stuff you got to do. There's some stuff you have to do if it's going to be turned at all for you. God, God has given you the exchange. He's bestowed this stuff. But until you and I embrace it and do some stuff, it never happens. And this, then you always have, when you're, in a, in, when you're in a mess or you're going through grief or you're going through a difficult time, you always have somebody come up and they give you this, this scriptural, eight, Romans 8, 28. You know that God causes everything to work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And if you're going through a mess, what you really want to do when someone gives that to you, you just want to hit them right in the mouth. You just want to smack them right in the mouth because you're going, you know? What'd you say? Exactly. <laughs> Spirituality, as in comedy, is about timing. Okay? You can be a funny guy, but if you have bad timing, you just make people mad. You just make people mad. This passage is a real passage. But it doesn't mean that God takes your bad situation and turns that situation for good. When you lose a child, you never feel good about that. When you lose a loved one, when your marriage is disintegrated, you never feel good about that. When you lose your job, you never feel good about that. And people, people, people are, they mean well. I get it. I get it. They mean well. 
But we just, it's almost like we just lose our mind when we start trying to talk to people that are in a mess. And we use all these spiritual cliches thinking that it's helping and it's not helping. As a matter of fact, the deeper the pain, the less you say. You know, just shut up. Be there. Just be there. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just be there. All right, so let's talk about this passage here in Romans 8, 28. It's been used out of context a lot, okay? I know that. And so because it's been used out of context or it's been used wrongly, a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's lost its impact. It's a very real promise in God's word that we should embrace. But what you need to understand, the passage, especially in, in a mess, is a great passage because it does bring hope. But it brings hope not in this life, hope for eternity. This is not about when you come out of it, things are going to be good. What this passage means, when you read the whole chapter of Romans 8, you got you to recognize the context of things. He's talking about conforming us to the image of the Son. The whole predestination thing is not about you got a check mark if you're, if you're going to heaven or X if you're going to hell at birth. That's not what predestination in the Word of God is all about. What it's all about in God's Word is I, you are predestined. Each and every one of us are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's what it says. That means, that means that the difficulties that we have, if we embrace what has been bestowed upon us, we become more like Jesus on the other side of the difficulty. It's preparing us for eternity. That's what that's all about. Am I totally confusing everybody this morning? Okay, good. I was worried about that. All right, so now let's get into the process. Let's get into the application of it. We kind of dealt with some of the, the myths around the outside edge of this. So here's, here's one thing. Now, I, I don't know if this is a, in the, the lines of point one, point two, point three, but I, I got to tell you this. If you're in a mess, this is just common sense. But if you're going through a really difficult time and you're in a mess, don't make any major decisions. You know? Don't, if you're in a mess, don't go buy a new car. You know? If you're in a mess, don't go buy a new house. I just feel better if I go buy me a new house. No, that, that's, that's impulse buying. That's, that's, you're trying to make yourself feel better by buying something. You know? Go load up my, I'm going to go load up my credit cards at, at Disney World. Well, you can do that in about five minutes. All right? But that's not, I'm telling you, just don't make any major decisions when you're in difficult times. Just put, kind of put everything on hold for a bit when it comes to that kind of stuff. Because we get, we get into this emotional thing and we begin to do things out of emotion without putting any thought into it. And then when we're out of the mess, we got another mess that we got to figure out how to get out of. So don't make any, don't make any major decisions. But here's, here's the first step, okay? That didn't cost you a nickel, okay? So the first step is what? We talked about it last week. The first step is embrace the pain. Embrace it. Now, when I say embrace it, I don't mean I don't mean going. Oh, I just love this situation so good, so much. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying I'm in this. What can I learn from it? Okay, I'm here. I'm not going to deny its existence. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm in a mess, and now I've got to figure out what am I going to learn and how am I going to get out of this. So we embrace the pain in that situation. The second step is very simple for believers. Trust God in it. Yeah, but I don't know if I can do it. That's what this whole thing's all about. And until we learn to trust God in the difficult situations, we will continue to struggle at levels that we probably wouldn't have to otherwise. Notice this in Hebrews 13, 5. He's, Jesus, 
I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's a promise from God's word. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Philippians 1, 6, I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that Jesus returns. And then Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which way to go or which path to take is what it actually says. So trust God in it. And listen, trust God, trusting God looks different for a lot of people, but it, at, the, at, its, at its essence, it's just this. It doesn't mean that you can't get mad. It doesn't mean that you, that, you, that you enjoy the situation. It doesn't mean that you can't question God and go, I don't understand why I'm in this, God. All it means is you get to the point where Job was. Even if God kills me, and even if this situation kills me, I still trust God. I'm still going to serve him because I know that he has bestowed on me some things. And if I do my part in this, I will come out better and my threshold of pain will have grown. And I'll be better suited for the next situation that comes. And another situation will. They always come. I've never been one of those guys that tell you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ that all your problems go away, everything's going to be sunshine and roses, you're going to have plenty of money in the bank, you're never going to get sick. There are people that tell you that. It's not biblical, but they'll tell you that. And then there are others that will tell you, well, you just got to have more faith. And it's not necessarily about that. Okay? It's hard to, it's hard to deal and, and rationalize the hyper-faith, name it, claim it movement with Jesus saying, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's hard to justify those two. And if I had to justify it, I think I would choose the words of Jesus over the words of a faith preacher somewhere. Now, I believe we should have faith. And part of trusting God is faith. But there comes a point in time when we have been hammered so much down through the years that we can't question God about anything. Well, if you question God, it's sin. It's not sin. God's got broad shoulders. I mean, read the book of Job. Job had a lot of questions. He had a lot of questions. Now, he had three sorry friends, but he had a lot of questions. You know? I mean, they sat on the sidelines and going, yeah, you got all this wrong with you. And Job's going, I don't think so. I, mean, I, I didn't do that. But as, there was a point in time when Job had questioned God to a point that God had to just look at him and go, look, put on your big boy pants. Boom. Where were you when I put the stars in it? Where were you when I put the, all this? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. God's, when God wants to tell you something, he can do it. He can do it. Trust God in it. The next one is probably one of the hardest. But it's, it's, it's worship in it. Worship in it. You know, the, the, the writer said, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Okay? In, not for everything, but in it. This is what we're talking about here. Worshiping in the midst of it. How do you get to a point where you have praise instead of despair? You choose the path of praise. You choose the path of praise. Notice this in 2 Samuel. David noticed, and this is the, the backstory here is um, David and Bathsheba have now married, and she's pregnant again, or she's pregnant. They're now married, and, but the child is sick. And David, David literally 
fasts and prays for seven days. He's, he's wailing to God. He's, pray, he's in travail. He's praying for the life of the child, all this kind of stuff. And verse 12, 2 Samuel says this, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, he is dead. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Now, when you lose someone close to you, when you lose someone close to you, one of the hardest things that you will ever have to do is worship. Because there's nothing in you that feels like it. There's nothing in you that feels like worship. It, feels, it, it goes against everything that you can. And so what many people do when they've lost someone close, when they're, when they're grieving in the process of grief, they isolate themselves. They go into hiding. And they separate themselves from other people. And as a result of that, the enemy just beats them senseless. And ultimately, in, in a lot of cases, people never move out of the grieving process. They actually move from grief to morbid grief where it's just consumed everything about them. But here we have a situation where David has prayed, fasted and prayed and moaned before God, requested over and over and over and over and over of God, please, 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 and the child still died. And then David said, okay, the child is dead. What is the lesson that, what is the message that David uses in that situation? Remember we talked from mess to message. Here's what David actually said, because they, they, were, they were just confused. His attendants, his staff, they were just confused. And they go, look, we've, you haven't eaten, you've done nothing for a week. All this has been going on. What happened? And here's what David said. He said, while he was alive, I prayed for God to save his life and to spare his life. He's dead now. He can never come to me again. But I can go to him. What is he doing? He's looking to the future. Why is it, why is it that Paul said, as believers, we do not grieve as those who have no hope? This is it right here. This is it right here. Grief is very real for believers. We feel it just as, just as unbelievers do. But when we, when we move toward the message side of the mess... It's because we have chosen to worship in it. It doesn't have to be a death. It could be anything. It could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a job, whatever it is. But we choose to worship in it. We choose to worship. If it is a death, they can't come back to us, but we can go back to them. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, will be with them in the air and forever be with the Lord. That's a promise that we can bank on. It's going to happen. So we look at it from a different perspective. We look at it from an eternal perspective. It doesn't lessen the pain. It doesn't lessen the loss. But it lessens the way we react in it and through it and to it. Because we don't grieve that way. The next step is to learn the lessons. Well, I don't know what the lessons are. A lot of times this, this stage, this stage means that we talk to somebody. I don't understand what I'm going through here. I need some help. Maybe it's pastoral counseling. Maybe it's pastor spiritual guidance. Maybe it's, maybe it's a therapy, uh, uh, a therapist. You know, maybe, maybe you need to go see a counselor or a psychologist or even a psychiatrist. None of those things are taboo. None of those things are ungodly. They're all real. But you've got to figure out what the lessons are. 
you got to figure out what the lessons are. And sometimes it takes time, and sometimes that takes other people being involved with us. That's why we, we strive to be a place where nobody has to fight through life alone. We don't always hit the, hit the bullseye dead center, but we try to be a place where you can at least talk to somebody and we can try to help you figure, or we can put you in touch with, with the people that can, like Dr. Messino and some others that are a part of our church. We find ways to get you the help that you need so that you can pull the lessons out of it. And it sometimes involves talking to somebody. And then we move through the healing process. We move through the process. Too often, too often, people freeze at the controls during difficulties. When we have difficulties come, we just go, ah! We isolate. We pull ourselves away from everybody, and we just go into this funk. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things, and, we, and once again, we use scriptures out of context, and we go, just be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still! And I know the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Okay. But the whole stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, we use it out of context. God didn't say that. Moses did. As a matter of fact, God smacked Moses for saying that. Numbers 14, it's in your notes. We, over, we say be still because we're afraid to move sometimes. We're frozen there. We're paralyzed with whatever we're dealing with. Verse 13 says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Whole Egyptian army barreling down on them. Don't be scared, guys. <laughs> That's not normal. Stand firm, be still, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. That, was, that last part was true. The other part was Moses. That last word there, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again, that was God. And he says this, he makes a bold statement. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me like that? Tell the Israelites to move. Not my words. I mean, Moses goofed. He, sm he just messed it up. Y'all be still and see the salvation of the Lord. If they had stayed still on that side of the, of the, of the water, guess what? They'd have been killed. They'd have been killed. Tell the Israelites to move. The water would not have parted while they were standing on the bank. You need the water to part for you, you got to step in the water. You got to move. You can't sit still. You can't be paralyzed. You got to move. Now, don't rush the process, but you got to begin to move in the process. You got to begin to move. If you want to get to the point where your message becomes a message, then you have to move through the process. Don't stop. Don't be paralyzed. Fight through it. Don't quit. Stay put and move into the situation. Move through it. And then the next step is don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. Here, here's what I see happen. I've been doing this a long time, and there's some things that I see, okay? And here's one of the things that I see. We want to jump from mess to message before we're out of the mess. You know, I mean, we do. The first thing that people that are going through a divorce want to do is start a divorce recovery group. Well, you have to recover before you can help others recover. You know, it's like an addict or an alcoholic going, I'm, I think God's calling me the ministry to the, to the bars and, the, and all this kind of stuff. Okay, well, let's get some, let's get some space there. 
Let's make sure that you're at a place where you can. Okay? Because we got we to get to a point of wholeness. We got to get to a place of healing and wholeness before we're ever going to be good to anybody else. But what we do many times is we, we, we get into, into some type of ministry or something like that, and we're there to hide. Okay? Ministry can be an anchor. Ministry can be a refuge. A ministry can be an anchor. Or ministry can be a hiding place. Okay? If ministry is an anchor, it needs to be an anchor for a short period of time. It really means that you're not quite as far along as you need to be, but because you're in ministry, it's keeping you from doing some things that you probably wouldn't do otherwise. Ministry is a refuge, is a place where you, you get in and, and you receive some healing as you're doing that, okay? But it doesn't come on the front end. Okay, the problem with a lot of people is that they use ministry as a hiding place. They use ministry as a hiding place. A lot of people that have some psychological issues tend to go and get an education in psychology. Okay, because they want to help people, and I get it. But just because you got the education doesn't mean that you're whole enough to be able to help somebody else. And, it, and sometimes it's just kind of like one limp noodle holding another one up. All I'm saying is this. If you're going, don't rush the process. Get through the process before you try helping other people. Get through it before you try helping other people. Patience and perseverance are the key to the process. Waiting but never stopping. Waiting but never stopping. Joseph is the greatest example, I think, in Scripture of this whole thing. Joseph, betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery. He sold to a Potiphar. You read the story of Joseph. Joseph excelled in Potiphar's household, became, was placed over the entire household. In slavery, became the manager of the house. Then he winds up in prison. Potiphar throws him in prison because his, his wife falsely accused him. Goes to prison. Joseph excelled in prison and became second in command over the whole prison. You see a pattern developing here? Ultimately, he's under Pharaoh and he becomes second in the entire nation of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Why? Because every time he was sold to Potiphar, he excelled. He was in prison. He excelled. He was with Pharaoh. He excelled because Joseph didn't let his mess destroy him. He kept pushing. He kept moving. What, what if Joseph had quit? When his brother sold him to the, to the caravan, what if he just said, ah, I'm done, and just gave up? What if he'd stopped believing that his God would, would, would see him through? What if he stopped trusting? What if he stopped pushing ahead? What would have happened to the message that we read so beautifully about, about Joseph? What would have happened to all the people that were saved because Joseph was sold by his brothers and went to prison by Potiphar and ultimately was promoted by Pharaoh? What would have happened to all of that if he'd just quit? Because something went bad. His brothers didn't like him anymore. What would have happened? Patience and perseverance in the mess and through the mess are key because you only lose when you quit. You only lose when you quit. James 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The NIV says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. They're kind of interchangeable words there. Romans 5, 3. 
We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You must get through the process before you can try to help other people. And then the next thing is just know your story. Know your story. Not somebody else's story. Your story. From mess to message. And when you know your story, be able to tell it in three minutes. Tell it in three minutes. Yeah, but it'll take me, it'll take me two hours. Then you're not going to have an audience. You got to tell it in three minutes. You got to tell it with a hook. So people go, okay, can we, can we, after, you, after you tell your story, someone might say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Then you can go into some details. Remember the blind guy? His entire story. All I know, guys, I was blind and now I see. And he did it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the message. And it worked. It worked. Then after you know your story, begin to pour, other, pour into others. After you're healing, after you're whole again, pour into others. Don't waste the pain. Because the pain of our life is about others as much as it is about us. And it's out of our deepest pain that comes our greatest anointing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Ecclesiastes talks about two people being better off than one, being able to help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if you fall alone, you're in real trouble. Two people lying close together can keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two standing back to back can conquer. And three are even better. For a triple rated cord is not easily broken. It's talking about working through the process, having others in the mix with you, helping to learn the lessons, but then also coming alongside of others and helping them do some of the same stuff that you've been through. Whatever your mess is, it's about you right now, but it's really about somebody else in the future. And we have to move through the process because while we're in the mess, we don't need to be trying to tell anybody how to get out of it. You know why? Because we're not out of it. Blind leads the blind, we get what? They both fall in a ditch. We work through the process, but it begins with embracing it and then persevering in the patience and every other thing, other thing that I mentioned this morning. All the notes are on, on you version. You can get everything. If you need somebody to talk to, if you need some help getting through and working through the process, call the office. Set up an appointment with one of the pastors. You know? We'll be glad to talk with you. Now, I'll tell you straight up, we're preachers and not counselors. So if it, gets, if it gets to be a little bit more than spiritual guidance, we're going to refer you to Ted. Because we're not equipped for that. We know what we know. But we don't know that. Okay? But we can help you find the help that you need. We really can. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for our time together. God, as we, as, we, as we just begin the process of moving from mess to message, God, be, over, be, be glorified in, in our decisions, Father. Give us the strength and perseverance. May we embrace this pain, God. Embrace the mess. Learn the lessons that we need, God. Just stay the course in it. Don't quit. Father, I pray that that as you have bestowed on us 
beauty and joy and praise that we will take that from the ashes and the mourning and the despair because our desire God is to be called oaks of righteousness our desire is to rebuild ancient ruins our desire is to be renewed and be restored those things that have been devastated by the enemy by attacks by by our own bad choices God we want to be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of your splendor so be with us today God and may you be glorified in us and through us and we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus name we all said amen let's uh, say the Lord's prayer Tommy's going to come and close us out the altar team will be here around the front if you need prayer today our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen Thank you.